week. And it is Tuesday. We have our good friend, Mr. Al Bat, joining us now to chat about birds and nature, etc. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. It's another stunner. What a lovely oh. day. I, I I followed a chickadee around this morning and <laughs> liked it at every opportunity. Cause <laughs> each, uh, I think each chickadee is a prime symbol of the natural world. But as I filled the feeders, the chickadee landed on my arm, and I, oh. I tried not to breathe. It's just one of those things. It's, we had a town board meeting this morning, and... Uh, we're uh, starting to talk about frost boils now. So it's that time of year where those things magically appear. Now, frost roads. boils as opposed to potholes, tell me what the difference is. If the, yeah, if frost boil certainly leads to a pothole. Frost heaves. Um, people have all kinds of names for them. Some I couldn't say on the air, but uh, people fight with them. And, and I know <laughs> when we lived on the farm, there was one... Oh, gosh. Right by the end of our drive, everybody will know right where this is, right by the end of our drive to the end of our property, it was the same spot every year. And we'd dig it out, and the township would come out and fill it in with gravel, but it it was persistent. I don't know. You'd have to go to the center of the earth on that one, I think, to get rid of it. It just was, uh, it was just... Yeah. I don't know. It was stubborn, I guess, would be the polite thing to say about it. But it's this time of year that we get those frost boils, so we'll be fighting with them for a while. and That's the way things go. Uh, seeing a lot of uh, chipping sparrows now in the yard, uh, just such cute little birds. I heard a vesper sparrow singing this morning when I dropped the mail off. A uh, great blue heron flew over this morning, and a flicker was in the yard. So it was uh, neat hearing that flicka, flicka, flicka sound. So uh, some more things are uh, filtering back in here, and I'm just uh, so happy to see them. Uh, robins, I hear Robin's song, and there was research done by a biologist by the name of Mark Miller uh, back in 1929. And he found that the first robin songs began about 45 minutes before sunrise. But recent studies have shown that modern neighborhoods that are flooded in artificial light cause robins to sing much, much earlier Whoa. than that. So if you don't they, like them waking you up, it might be your own fault. <laughs> yeah, you might want to, oh, you know, I'm one of those that I like screens and things, but you might want to, I don't know white noise or close those windows uh, it's just uh, I like their song and I find robins and catbirds are the two that get me uh, catbird because it nests in uh, arborvitae right by and some tangles there right by the window so I, I <laughs> spend more time in the catbirds company Oh, yeah, a birder in Cleveland, Ohio, discovered a banded 28-year-old ring-billed gull. Wow. And that's the oldest individual of that species on record. Some of the big birds, I wonder, especially if they spend any time in salt water, I wonder how many of those birds outlive their band, that their band just goes away after a while. But this uh, gull, you know, you can leave, you can live to be 28 years old as a gull without paying any attention to proper diet, so it's just not important to go longevity. A report from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said bald eagles have quadrupled in population since 2009, 
Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom has returned to television. It will air as two original episodes back-to-back each Sunday in its original time slot at 7 p.m. It's on uh, Rural rural TV. Uh, no, I'm getting it wrong. RFD TV, I think, is the name of it. And uh, an owner of a trail cam told me that his device is occupied with filming of skunks and raccoons. So he's got his own wild kingdom. In some sad business, the first whooping crane hatched at the International Crane Foundation in Wisconsin has died of natural causes. And the crane named G. Wiz was 38 years, 9 months old. A whooping crane's average life expectancy in captivity is about 25 years. The oldest crane in captivity died at 46. G. Wiz fathered 178 cranes, and he was known for his da- nasty disposition. So there's something that's uh, that put that right on the tombstone. Had a nasty di- disposition. Uh, whooping cranes are the tallest birds in North America, and the population has grown from fewer than, I think it was less than 20 birds in the mid-1940s, and they figure around 850 today. The foundation, the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, Wisconsin, is one of the uh, the favorite places for my wife and I to go. It's just a, it's so cool. They have every crane species in the world there, alive, live birds, and they open May 1st this year. Oh. Hey, Al, you mentioned birds and how old they are. You know how with dog and cat years, there's the equivalent to people years. You know, if you're so old and you're a dog, you're like this old as people years. Like my cat is is now 10 years old so she's the same age like 57 years old as i am do do birds have equivalents of people years i was just curious i don't believe they do because oh, okay. we've got the the little chickadee here that makes a couple years he's doing pretty good and then we have uh, something like one of these cranes that lives um, 40 years Oh. So the bigger birds typically live longer than the small ones. That's a general statement, I realize, but that's it's pretty typical. The bigger the bird, the longer they live. So no, there isn't anything. And you know, parrots, some of them outlive us. Mm-hmm. So okay. And I don't know how they figure in their parrots because some of them aren't huge. Some of them are big birds, but uh, some of them aren't all that big. And boy, they live a long time. Oh, I listened to uh, biologist Sarah Winicky, and oh, I can't remember where Sarah is going to school now, working on her Ph.D., I believe. And she spoke about interesting brown-headed cowbird research, and she found in one dick-sissel nest, which is dick-sissels usually are pretty much our last bird to migrate here each year and they nest here. She found eight cowbird eggs in Ooh. one dick thistle nest, oh eight of them. Wow. And, yeah, she, you know, the cowbird will lay egg in another nest. Uh, they figure over 200 different species they will parasitize. And she added that there is some thought that those dick thistles might feed their own babies more than they do the cowbird babies. So they are feeding them, but just not as much. And Sarah mentioned, and I've heard this through the years, is called the mafia hypothesis. Yep, that mafia. 
and that suggests that the hosts accept parasitism to avoid retaliation against their nestlings. And I believe the one I read was about grasshopper sparrows, where if the grasshopper sparrow parents were not feeding the baby cowbirds, the cowbird parents would come in and do damage to the grasshopper baby. So if they feed the cowbird baby, then the grasshopper baby does all right because the mafia doesn't come in and terrorize the poor thing or do it in. So, it's uh, folks, it's tough everywhere. The NCAA is for the birds. And uh, I mean that in a good way. Oh, the NCAA <laughs> men's and women's tournaments have teams with a lot of bird nicknames. Some have won national championships. There's the Stanford Cardinal that just won, the Louisville Cardinals, the Marquette Golden Eagles, the South Carolina Gamecocks, the Kansas Jayhawks, which I don't know what a Jayhawk is, but it's certainly birdie sounding. The Oregon Ducks won the first NCAA Men's Basketball National Championship in 1939. And other avian handles that we're probably pretty familiar with are the Iowa Hawkeyes. I will say that few teams are named after body parts of birds, but the (laughs) the Hawkeyes are. The uh, Creighton Blue Jays, although they spell Blue Jays as one word, and it should be two words. And the Virginia Tech Hokies. And that's a manufactured nickname, but the mascot, the hokey bird, is uh, certainly looks like a turkey. So those would be some. Aren't there some penguins um, it, too? But penguins, I think, are hockey or something. There's there's a lot of bird names out there for, yes, for teams for whatever I believe reason. It's the, I know so little about hockey; it's scary. But <laughs> I believe it's the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, you're I, probably right. I hope I'm. I hope I'm right on that. There aren't a lot of penguins in Pittsburgh, by the way, but still, <laughs> it's a pretty good name. They wanted a little bit of alliteration, I suppose, in the name Two Peas. You mentioned two things going, yeah, two things going to the birds. I wanted to let you know one of our faithful listeners. Her name is Miriam from St. Paul. She says. Uh, she forgot to tell me, but a week ago or so ago, she received Al Bat's book, A Life Gone to the Birds. She ordered it from your website for her dad, who loves birds and humor. She says, I'm sure my dad will love it, and no, I, and um, I'm going to order one for myself, too. She said, I should have done that in the first place. She says, I get to see so many birds from my office here. Just saw two Canada geese flying by, and earlier, two eagles flying around. She says, I guess I'm surprised to see eagles right here by the highway as much as I do, but I love it. See, So she stares out the window sometimes just watching the birds. And now she's up in St. Paul at Concordia University. So, I mean, I guess I'm surprised to hear right up there by the, you know, where that's kind of like by 94, I'm, I think. Why would the eagles, wouldn't that be kind of a dangerous place or are they just happy to be wherever? Yeah. It, they're everywhere now. They have, uh, again, they've quadrupled their population since 2009, which is, uh, boy, just think of my little town here, Heartland, of 300 people in about 10, well, a little over 10 years. If we went to 1,200 people or so, or 1,500 people, just man, that'd be incredible. So they have to spread around to find places to to make mm-hmm. a home. And Miriam, how nice to hear from you. I watched a pair of Canada geese fly over today, honk a and along, and it was just really cool. And I have an office, too, where I work, and I, well, I, 
pretend to work anyway. <laughs> I look out there, and it's boy, it's really easy to be distracted. So I understand that, but yet it's uh, it, it does the heart well, I think, to look at those kind of things. So Miriam, thank you in uh, in every way I can think of thanking you. Thank you very much, uh, Miss Lona sent me a thing on murmuration of starlings. Mm -hmm. And Harvey Benson from Harmony sent me a thing on murmuration of starlings. And the cool part is they were different videos of the murmuration of starlings. And here, uh, starlings cornered the yard for a while. Now, today I haven't seen them at all. But uh, a few years ago, I was out doing birdie things, and (laughs) I came under a flock of countless starlings. And it was a murmuration. And I hadn't planned. I hadn't even seen them. They kind of snuck up on me. They zoomed over me, and I heard this incredible whoosh that was both thrilling and mesmerizing. It caused the hair on my arms to stand on end. What a splendid gift that was. I was just, oh, I just wanted to fall down on the ground and kick my feet like we did when we were kids sometimes, (laughs) when we were either ticked off or just so excited about something, you didn't know what else to do. You either ran in circles, acting like a goofy person, or you just fell down on the ground and went, this is the best day ever. (laughs) I should have talked about this last week, but boy, I did not. Mark Malepsi, who is my barber in Albert Lee, and he keeps track of the ice out dates on Fountain Lake in Albert Lee, and it was March 24th this year. The earliest ever was March 7th of 2000. The latest was April 27th of 1951, and again in 2018. Last year it was April Fool's Day. Fountain Lake has the third oldest records in the state, so they go back to 1912. Lake Osaka's goes back to, uh, or Lake Osaka's goes back to 1867, and Lake Minnetonka began in 1870, but they missed a couple years and has been continuous since 1887. So it's really neat, Mark. Uh, produces this list of every year and when it was out and it's it's really neat to see how and you try to remember boy 2018 it was colder a lot longer uh tammy vogel said i saw my first kettle of pelicans today unfortunately i was driving thankfully i have a sunroof and i'm um, sorry to the subaru that was behind me <laughs> always such a fun spring sighting and I live out in the country, Tammy, so we're used to that because we have people that drive around look at the crops when they start coming up. And so it uh, maybe we're better prepared for that sort of thing. Glenn Salvey of Clark's Grove found an injured great horned owl, and uh, he got a hold of the raptor center. Uh, Kathy Paulson lives in Geneva, says our daughter Krista was here this weekend for Easter as well to help her dad celebrate his birthday. While she was out with her dog in the backyard, she happened to see a nest in a tree and wondered if we might have an eagle nest. Later, she was able to see that the nest belonged to an owl and was able to get a picture of the owl sitting in the nest. I got on the computer and was able to learn a lot about the owl, what the owls like to eat, which surprised me in some respects. One of the things that we learned is they like to eat moles, and we have discovered that we must have a lot of them in our backyard as we are seeing a lot of their trails. 
Krista also wondered how come she hadn't seen any of my hostas peeking through the ground, and now we are wondering if the moles have taken over the flower bed and proceeded to eat their roots or whatever and oh. kill them. I guess we will have to keep an eye on things to see if the hostas might be late and peeking through the ground or if they've been killed. Um, Kathy, they they don't eat the roots, uh, moles. They're looking for grubs and earthworms. That said, they could certainly damage the roots in their travels going from here to here. Well, if, it, if it makes her feel any better, none of my hostas have really peaked up either. I think it's still just, they're still just sleeping. So. Yep, yep, same here too. Yeah. I had to look after because then she she made me think, what? Well, I don't know, so I had to look. So, yeah, I think they're still on their way, Kathy. So, uh, I and the owls, the picture she sent were indeed of young ones. They had that kind of furry, fuzzy look to them. Uh, Helen Abramson, who listens from Duluth, said, while walking around outside with my walker yesterday, I watched a raven fly with a long twig in its beak right over my head and into an evergreen tree. It came out of the tree without the twig and went back to a tree at the edge of the lawn. I watched it grab a small branch of the tree and start twisting and bending it. It had to work hard for quite some time to get it loose. The head was going back and forth. He finally got it broken off and flew off with a Y-shaped branch to the same tree. Stayed in that tree longer the second time, so I moved on, having enjoyed what I did see. Helen, I have seen that with crows and ravens, and it's just I'm glad you got to see it. It's really cool. I watched one once, and it dropped uh, a branch, and it didn't fly down and pick it up it went back to the tree and broke off another one and then i went out later and it dropped another branch and when i dropped the branch it just left them lay on the ground i don't know if that's typical of what they do or maybe it maybe the branch just didn't work and it said to heck with that i'm throwing it down there but they like to break them off a tree to use in their nest a uh, listener said, where do sandhill cranes seen in Nebraska in March nest? Um, the most numerous and smallest subspecies there is the lesser sandhill crane. The Canadian sandhill crane is the one that's intermediate in size, and that makes up Oh, about 15% of the birds staging along the Platte River. And then the greater sandhill cranes, they're about 5%. So 15% for the midsize, 5% for the greater, and then uh, 80% about for the lesser. Greater sandhill cranes, again, those are the big ones, they nest in the Great Lakes in the inner lake region of Manitoba. The Canadian subspecies breeds throughout central Canada from Hudson Bay west of the Rocky Mountains, and lesser sandhill cranes nest across the northern reaches of Canada and Alaska. I think the last time I read anything about, there's about 80,000 of those birds cross the Bering Strait and nest in eastern Siberia. Each of those cranes spends about 29 days along the Platte River. 90% of its diet is corn. Cranes stopping in Nebraska generally winter in Texas, New Mexico, and Mexico, arriving in Nebraska in February. Population peaks so generally the third week of March, and in large numbers remain through the first week of April 
and again, I, I hope everybody gets an opportunity to, to make it there. Uh, a listener says, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. We have onion snow there. Do you have onion snow here? Onion snow? I, I, what is yeah, that? Do you, do you, yeah, I don't. It's a thing that Minnesotans don't talk about, I guess. <laughs> I Maybe don't. just in hushed tones somewhere in street corners. I know in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Dutch, Dutch call onion snow, and they I'm sure they originated the term. It refers to a snowfall that occurs after the spring onions have been planted or is an indication it's time to plant onions. So and I don't believe oh. we, we use that here no, at all. No, I've never heard of that. No. no. Why are squirrels removing bark from the tree in my yard? Oh, I've heard that a lot. I've seen a lot of pictures of people really upset because they've actually made some really damage, done a lot of damage, and it can actually kill your trees. They, they can indeed, and they can certainly girdle a, a branch yeah. and do that branch in. Why in do they hurry. do that? They uh, they like to do it from thin bark trees because, well, you know, that bark is easier to remove than thick bark. But the squirrels might use a bark to line their, their nests. Oh. Uh, bark removal also exposes a tree's cambium layer, and that holds nutrients and sugars produced by the tree. So that provides food for hungry squirrels in late winter and early spring when other food sources are less readily available. And chewing on the bark of a tree, of course, helps squir- keep squirrels' teeth in good shape. So there's a, and I remember when I was a kid, oh, Audubon used to have these wonderful programs that would come to uh, the school in Albert Lee, and we go in there and watch these films, and the author of a book or something would be there. And I remember one guy, and I don't have no idea who it was, or, but he said that uh, a female squirrel that was pregnant might have some pain and that that might help reduce the pain but i have not i don't know that i've heard that since but he could have been a squirrel whisperer so that yeah. could have been true you know i know willows have salicin in it so that salicylic acid is in aspirin so oh. uh, native americans used to chew the bark of that to help with pain but i think uh, around here probably is they're hungry and it gives them something to eat because they really gnaw away on it i've watched them and they seem to be enjoying the sugary content from some of that bark so i would guess that's the reason uh a young lad asked uh, do polar bears hibernate Hmm. Uh, black and brown bears hibernate and you might get some argument here but polar bears really don't only pregnant polar bears den up the female may indeed lower heart rate metabolism and breathing rate but never to the point of what scientists would consider true hibernation is that called torpor is that what it's called yeah they do go into sort of a torpor but they have the babies in there and they got to take care of them so they really don't Uh, but brown and black bears Mm. do and I know there's always brown and black bears out in the winter when they shouldn't be out, and who knows what they're doing. If they get hungry, they didn't eat enough, they got some other problems. We don't know what's going on with them. Only they know, <laughs> and uh, they they do a good job keeping it a secret. You got something from John? I did. I got a postcard. I always love getting postcards. You know, mail is just fun to get. And he said, 
If you need stamps, get the bright, colorful Garden Beauty stamps or nice wild orchids at the post office. He always keeps me up to date on what's the new stuff there. And he says there's two a two-page article about his dad that you might be able to read in the April magazine. It's called, the site, and it's a really great article. It's called uh, the or the site is forwardinchrist.net. It's got pictures, etc., of a mural. His dad Otto Pfeiffer was a, an artist, and he painted it in a church. And and so there's just I don't know I sent you that link to see that and it, yep. the, the article it's a, a Christian man a man of truth and it's got just some beautiful artwork and of course he's done a lot of artwork that people see at different places but his name is Otto Pfeiffer and he's uh, in Andover Minnesota now and so thank you for that John appreciate that I looked it up and and then he says. I have been real busy. I work and try to see dad every week. He lives 100 miles away and try to do my stuff. My sister is still doing chemo, and it's from John. And he says, um, yeah. So anyway, so it's a nice nice postcard and a really nice article about his dad. So you go, if you want to read it, it's a really great article. Forwardinchrist.net is the, it's a Lutheran uh, newsletter, but it's about, about his dad and just a really interesting guy. So... Um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet, but uh, it's uh, he's got some amazing artist, really. I have not. I uh, oh, I rushed back. We had the meeting, the town board meeting early, so I get. Well, you can take a look, it, and I think I mean it's worth certain checking out because it's very very nice. So. Oh, I fully intend to, and I will. And thank you, John. Appreciate you, and uh, thank you, Karen, for forwarding that to me, and I I look forward to it. So yeah, I. Artists are, I'm heading to the post office one of these first days. I'm going to get some global forever stamps. Global? Do they have a picture of the earth on it? <laughs> no, oh, they're, okay. uh, yeah, I I work with uh, a couple cartoonists who live in Canada. Oh, so, so they're international stamps is what they are. Yeah, we do uh, stuff online, but we also mail some things back and forth, so... These are nice. Instead of uh, putting a long stream of stamps on there, I can get these and just put one stamp on there and be done with it. So oh. put there. I also got an, a text here from our friend Mike in Albert Lee. He says there's apparently a group of cormorants nesting out on the island on Pickerel Lake by Albert Lee. He says, I remember cormorants caused issues on Leech Lake. He says, I'm just curious if there would be any issues here. Thanks, Alan Karen from Mike in Albert Lee. Hey, thanks, Mike. What a good guy. Um, they used to nest on Albert Lee Lake, and then they just disappeared from there. I, they uh, will kill the nest tree very often, just like great blue herons do, because uh, their droppings are very acidic. Uh, up at Leech Lake, uh, yeah, the fishermen were having a lot of problems with that, so they got egg shakers to go out and shake the cormorant eggs on the islands. Oh. So uh, it's like chickens. If you took away all the chicken, if the chicken is incubating eggs and you took away the eggs, she'll probably lay some more eggs. So she's incubating. Cormorants were kind of that same way. So they would shake the eggs, making them so they would not hatch and put them back. And then after a while, the cormorants would give up. Uh, I don't know if they'd be a problem on Pickerel Lake. Pickerel Lake is one that was uh, drained a while ago to trying to get rid of the rough fish. 
and uh, it's it's kind of cool. I don't know how the people that live around Pickerel Lake will feel about it, but I think it's kind of cool to have a, a cormorant rookery going in there now because I missed the one on uh, seeing the one on Albert Lee Lake. So now I'll have one to look at, and uh, that's another bird that I'm seeing now, along with pelicans. I'm seeing a lot of pelicans and cormorants that have returned to this most beautiful place called Minnesota. Do they stay there then, or do they, they move on? I mean, when the cormorants come, is it kind of a temporary stop, or...? Do they live there? No, they they do nest around here. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And um, uh, everybody, hey, thanks for sitting on the porch with me here. Uh, once upon a time, boy, when I was a kid, every story started like that. Mm-hmm. I, I fell asleep to more once upon a times. There were more mother-in-law jokes than there were mothers-in-law. <laughs> and uh, my mother-in-law was no joke. I loved her, and she, the baby of six, has just died at the age of uh, young age of 93 and even though she spent considerable time on the brink death startles and those we love always die too soon my son said grandma's love was unconditional and she was one of those ladies that made me feel or one of those people as if i had all the leg room i needed when i was around her the ironing board at lorraine's was always up in her house except when company was expected a sprinkler head was inserted into a soda bottle containing water i remember a seven up bottle but my remember might be incorrect clothes were sprinkled and then set aside before ironing and this helped remove the wrinkles she spent substantial chunks of time flattening cloth she did the bat family uh, laundry once when my wife and I were newlyweds and hung the clothes outside on a line so they'd smell like the world should. Her dog found my beloved University of Minnesota sweatshirt <laughs> oh, no. intriguing and tore it from the line and to shreds. Uh-oh. Lorraine worried I'd be angry. How could I be mad at someone who did my laundry? How do you get over the death of a loved one? I, I don't know. Uh, I never have. Part of belonging is leaving, as Dorothy did with her ruby slippers, Lorraine has gone home. We cry, we laugh, and we're given a rainbow. I I miss my uh, mother-in-law. I love her very much. So if you, you know, if it's safe and you got the opportunity, man, love, go out and just hug somebody you love. Thanks for listening. Heartland is while we're driving past and do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your company. Man, I don't know what I'd do without Tuesdays with Karen. Oh, well, thanks. I feel the same way, Al. It's great to chat with you again, and we will be back again. Enjoy the rain. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye, Al. It is 1033, and you are listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick. I always love Tuesdays with Al as well. It, uh, I've got some Suzanne Vega for you here, and then we'll have more music coming up if you have any requests.